Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. This time, I'll turn it over to our brother John Rogers and see what the Lord has laid on his heart for us this morning. Thank you. So we have had our scripture reading this morning. Um, in 1 Samuel 4, verse, 11, verse 1 to 11. A shocking part of the scripture, the Old Testament, I'm sure you'll agree. Um, but I want to read another verse, uh, or some more verse with you. I'll make you work hard this morning. First uh, Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 26. So this is where this sermon came from. I'll just tell you my, um, my train of thought. So not every year, but sometimes... Uh, at, on, at night time, before I go to bed at night, uh, as we maybe should do, I have got a daily reading thing, so I, I read various things uh, at times. But this year, I went back to something I did before, so I was going to read through the scriptures, read through the Bible, maybe three or three and a half chapters a night to read through it. So that's what I've been doing this year, since the start of the year, or shortly after that, I've been working through the Bible. And part of the reading was this, and, and as you read through this, I want to encourage you, as you read through your Bible, you'll notice things that you never noticed before. So I was reading through this, and I was reading First Chronicles chapter 15, verse 26, a place you wouldn't read very often, I would suggest, uh, there. And uh, I read there, and it said this, and I was interested in it. Is this the right place? Not sure of the right place actually there. First Chronicles, can I read we were reading? Verse 26. First Chronicles 15, verse 26. I'm not sure. Oh, there. Are. Oh, yes, it is. First Chronicles chapter 15, verse 26. These are obscure parts of the scripture. And so it was when God helped the Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bulls and seven rams. Right, I was reading through the First Chronicles 15, verse 26. I was interested in this. I was thinking about my little assembly at Grohl back home. And it'll apply to you here as well. Anybody else that hears it, that this is what we would like this. We would like the Lord to help us. This was something great. So I said, what's this story about? So I went back and I read the four times, there's four times uh, referenced that back uh, in the Bible. And there's four times that the ark was mentioned at this time in the, in the, the time of the King's Chronicles. Now, it's not, it's not mentioned in the Bible as much as you'd think. And the Ark of the Covenant is something that always interests me. Something, if you ask me, something I would love to have seen in real life was the Ark of the Covenant. That, that golden box, it's about, what is it, um, a, a few feet long and a, a couple of, uh, maybe three feet long or something like that, one and a half feet wide, a, a box made of wood, covered in gold, beautifully made with these angels, cherubims on top, and inside... The Ark of the Covenant was the law of God. I want you to think of that. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was the law of God. We call it the Ten Commandments. That was what was stored inside the box. There was also, in the New Testament you read, it says that there was Aaron's rod that budded, and there was a pot of manna in there as well. So we've got the law, and a couple of things will be to remember uh, the, the journey in the wilderness and some of those type of things, things when God helped the children of Israel to pass. But as you think of the Ark of the Covenant, you think of the law of God contained in it. So that's what we, we thought about. And that story which we read this morning already, this is the time when the Ark was lost. 
Right? So this ark, and really, if you remember in the tabernacle, that ark, you couldn't really see it very often. It was covered. And once a year, the priest went in and put blood on the ark of the covenant, but on the mercy seat, the lid of it. And it was there as something that was not seen very often. But the point was this, that God's presence rested on earth, on that one place on the Ark of the Covenant. Just a totally unique thing that this that happened. But what I want just to bring into, the, into our lives is this. In that story we read in 1 Samuel chapter 4, the people thought, the people thought, if we bring, and the Philistines thought it too actually, but the people of Israel thought, if we bring this Ark out like a lucky charm, we can win the battle. And the God of heaven said, no, you'll not bring that out like a lucky charm. If you're disobeying the rules in that box, that box will not work for you at all. And the ark was lost and brought away into the land of the Philistines, which you will hear more of. But uh, this little bit we read in Chronicles was the bringing back of the ark. God helped the, the Levites, those people that time, to bring the ark of the covenant back to its proper place. So it's, can I say we worship this morning a dangerous God? We worship a living God. We worship a serious God. We worship a God that has got rules. That's what we want to think about this morning. I want to bring it into the New Testament as well. So we're going to read some more. We're going to keep us busy this morning in some of these old stories in the Old Testament. First, uh, First Samuel and chapter... 7 verse 13. We're going to read there. And we're going to read verse 13, 15 and 19. First Samuel chapter 7 verse 13. So the Philistines were subdued and they did not come in anymore into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And Samuel, I'm not sure if I could write reference there as well. First, sorry, First Samuel 6, verse 13, 15, 19. First Samuel chapter 6, verse 13, and 15 and 19. It says there, Now, the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. Verse 15, the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the chest that was with it, in which were the articles of gold, and put them on the large stone. Then the men of Bashemish offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices the same day to the Lord. And verse 19, what happened? And he, thus the Lord, struck the men of Bashemish because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck 50,070 men, or it might be, 70 men out of 50,000 of the people. And the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. Weird words and strange things are reading here today. But this is the, the ark coming back to Israel. It comes back to the people of Bashemish. Now, I need for the children especially to fill in the details between that. Right, here's the story. The ark was brought out on the day of battle against the Philistines. The, Philistine, the most precious thing, can I say the most precious thing apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, possibly the most precious thing ever made on this earth, the most precious object on this earth 
the Ark of the Covenant. Lost to the Philistines on a day. The Philistines got it, right? And they thought, well, really, I suppose what they thought was, what they thought that day was our God, God's, are better than their God, the real God. That's what really was, that's what it was in them days. It was gods against gods. It's what they were fighting, really. That's, whoever won the battle was the one who had the strongest God. But that's not the way it works, really, as we will understand. So they thought that day, they thought they were going to lose the battle. Turns out the Philistines won the battle, captured the ark, brought it into their temple before their God. He was called Dagon. They left it there. Come back in the morning. Dagon, he was a, I don't know what sort of boy he was, but he was some sort of boy, and he was on his face. They go, whew, this is strange. This is weird. This is odd, right? So they got Dagon back up again, right? They come back in the next day. Dagon is back in his face, head off his shoulders, arms broken on his face. They go, whew, there's something strange going on here. So that was okay. They thought that for a while. So then they, they started, and then they realized that the men... And the people in that time, they realized that after they kept it for a few months, they realized that they were plagued with mice. There was a plague of mice all over the place. The men started, or the people started to get gross on them, like sort of like cancerous type things. There were emeralds, the Bible calls them. These things were growing on the men. And they were going, look, see this ark? We need to get rid of this thing. This thing here is something we do not want. He's stronger than our God. It's causing us endless trouble. We, that thing there... It needs to go back to where it belongs. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. So they got their brightest men and said, how are we going to do this? And he says, right, what you do is send it back. Send it back with a sacrifice and get it back to those Israelites or we are doomed, we are finished. If we don't get rid of this thing, it's going to cause us endless trouble. So we read here, this story we've read in First Samuel chapter 6, that's it coming back into the land of Israel. Whenever... They did it. They, they did something really strange. They said, we're going to get two mummy cows that have just given birth. And we're going to attach those two cows to a cart. We're going to put the ark in the back of it. We're going to lock their babies away, right? And we're going to let them go see what happens. And sure, lo and behold, the two cows, totally against nature, went straight for this place in Israel called Bethshemesh, they just went straight for that place. This was totally, and they said, there it goes. There it's away. God has brought it back. People at Bethshemesh have seen this coming. Here comes our ark back again. And they did something which God told them in the rules. Don't do it. They looked, I presume, inside the ark, I presume, looked inside it and looked on it. And a load of people, well, I don't know how many, I, I thought maybe 70. The Bible says 50,000 and 70, but it might be 70 out of 50,000, depending on what you think. On that, there's a bit of discrepancy, a bit of discussion about that. But anyway, God moved at that time and killed in a very severe judgment those that had acted out of place. So this came back, and they looked on it, and they were killed on the spot. So it was rejoicing, but there was sadness with rejoicing. They, um, they had they had done that. They had um, they had, had done that. It says there that uh, the people were rejoicing, glad to see it, but they didn't treat the thing right. And they were judged for that as well. So this was a problem. 
This was a big problem to people. They, they, they said, we don't want this now. We don't want this, this, this ark, this God. It's too holy. It's too, it's too serious for us. We don't want it. So then we'll go to 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 2. 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 2. We'll read verse 2, 3, uh, 2 to 8. Maybe we'll read. It says there, So it was that the ark remained in Kirjath Jerem a long time. It was there 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. We've got a change of heart here. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the bales and the asterisks and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mispeth, and I will gather, I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mispeth and drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day and said, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mispeth. Now, when the Philistines heard the children of Israel gathered together at Mispeth, the Lord of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. There, and then verse number 12, it says, And Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mispeth and Shane and called it its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far hath the Lord Helped us, and the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel. And this is another time whenever the ark was brought out onto the battle. Another time whenever they were so they've changed, they've changed their, they've changed their mind here, and they've, they've changed their ways. And then First Samuel chapter fourteen and verse eighteen to twenty-three. This is it doesn't really fit my sermon this, but it's part of the the references of it, right? 1 Samuel 14, verse 18 and 23. This is Saul. And he does that same thing. So the people have changed their mind. They've stopped serving those gods. And now you'll notice that the ark does do what they expected to do the last time. Verse 18 and 23, it says there, And Saul said unto Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. For at that time the ark of the God was with the children of Israel. And verse number 23, So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle and the battle shifted to Beth Avon. So here we can see this, what they expect happened the first time. They expected whenever they were battling the Philistines, bring the ark out, we would get victory. Here, after they repented, chastised themselves, went back to the Lord, the ark comes out now, and it now does save them. The Lord in his sovereign will does save the people at this time. The ark does that, what they expected it to do. Second Samuel chapter 6 We can see there that this is whenever the ark comes back into Israel. And still more problems here, you'll notice as we read this. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 2. And David arose and went to battle, and went with all the people who were with him from Baal to Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. 
So they set the ark of God on a new cart and was brought out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzziah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought out of the house of Abinadab, which was in the hill accompanying the ark of God, and Ohio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of fir wood, on harps, stringed instruments, on tambourines, on systems, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzziah, Uzziah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error. He died there by the ark of God, and David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of that place Peraz Uzzah unto this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So here we have David, and like we had Saul before, and Saul wasn't a very spiritual man. He didn't do much that was commendable in terms of spiritual things in the Bible. But David was different. He was a man that thought about God's things as much, maybe, as he thought about his own things. And he was a great example in the Scripture. And he had seen this. That we didn't read the verse, but if you read there about that man's house that we that we reading about, that man that was um, a called, what did you call that man? Abinadab's house. There, if you read about that man, it says there that his house was blessed. Remember the Philistines? It was a curse to them. It was an absolute curse to them to have the ark near them. But whenever everybody's seen Abinadab's house, it says that his house was an absolute was blessed by the ark. It was there. It seemed to be that all the crops went well. There was seemed to be lots of children born to this family. It was just a real blessing, and everyone round about could see. See when that ark stayed at his house. There was blessing, and wondrous blessing at that time. It was obvious for everyone to see. And David, I think, heard of this, and he says, look, I want that blessing that's at his house. I want that for the whole nation. I want that to be spread out among us all. So he said, we'll go, and we will bring the ark to me. And we, as it were here, shake our heads, and he thinks he's going to do this. He's going to do almost like what the Philistines did. They put the ark on a cart, attached a couple of cows to it, and set it off on its way, which was fine for Philistines to do. But God was very clear. This ark that he had made, he said, when you're moving this ark, what you do is you cover it, you get men from the tribe of Levi, and they get big poles, and they stick it in, and that ark will be covered, and it'll be carried by men that are Levites. That's That's how it moves. David thought he'd be a bit modern. I don't know what he thought he was going to do, but he thought, or he didn't, maybe he didn't know, maybe he never read his Bible, I don't know. But he thought that he was going to move this cart, and this, this ark, that cart. He's going to put it in the cart and do it. And the problem was this, up over a bit of a bump, and this most valuable thing that there ever could be was wobbling a bit, and this man touched it. Uzzah, they call him. And he died on the spot. On that spot, he died. And David was he was he was angry, he was cross, he was he didn't know what to think. He was saying, Well, I'm trying my best here, I'm trying to do the thing that, uh, that we need to do, and we've had this problem with this I presume he liked this man, he was probably a good servant of David's. This man he was killed dead on the very spot. And this is them trying to do something 
the wrong way, not looking at God's rules, not doing the way it should have been do- done. And they were bringing that, trying to bring that back to Israel. So this is, the, this is what we're working at today. This is what we're thinking about. This is what is, uh, is happening in the Bible. This, this idea of this, this ark, this box that contained the rules of God, and how, how much of a curse it is to those that shouldn't have it. How much a blessing it is to those that do have it. And how careful it is with the rules that God has, the, the care he has upon it, how it should be treated at all times. We've got a living God and he is very interested in his things and the things that do it. And we can apply this to ourselves. This is ancient scriptures, old, old stories, but I think we can hear the voice of God in this and find some applications to ourselves in this as well. Do we ever think that God is our lucky charm? Something that just is there just for us, just whenever whenever we whenever we need him, he'll just come whenever whenever he's needed. Whenever we don't need him, we can live whatever way we want. Whenever at our back and call we just come and help us whenever we need help. Do we think that because we go to the right place, because we say the right words, because we read the right Bible, because we do all those things, God is always on our side, no matter how we live from Monday to Friday. Monday to Saturday. And then on the Lord's Day, just come in and God's our God and we are the right people in the right way and all the rest of it. Is that not what the Israelites thought? They thought that they could just bring out God just whenever it suited them. And he would just do whatever they wanted. And that's not the God we have come to think about this morning. This is the the God who rules supreme in heaven. He's got things set out. He, he, He set out how he wants to run his church. He set out how he wants to run families. He set out how he's given us all the instruction in the Bible we need. And he expects us to read it and to do it and not just pull out God whenever it suits us. We are to be his people all the time, to chastise ourselves, to repent, to confess our sins, to live in a godly and sensible manner before God. And I think all of us sometimes, if we're honest, we're deluded in this. We're deluded. We think that God is just always going to come to our back and call and help us in the way we think that he will, he will do this. We learned in Bashemish. We learned there. We just can't do whatever we like. We just can't live whatever way it is. God has set his instructions down and, and whenever the, the, cart, the thing was being moved, uh, it was very clear, God had made very clear instructions how it was to move. There was much consequences if people weren't going to obey the God, the God of heaven. God's sovereign. He will move again. The, the ark came out in the days of Saul and helped them in that sense. They had repented and chastised themselves. We're living a bit more godly and God did help them. But God is that sovereign God. He will do and move exactly the way he pleases. That's the God we come to serve. He doesn't serve us. We serve him. You can see a big difference there. I don't know why you caught it or not as we read and thought about these things this morning. The Philistine. They could send a cart back whatever way, the ark back whatever way they wanted. On a cart, whatever it was, they could send it back pretty much whatever way they wanted. God didn't expect much of the Philistine. But see, King David... And the Israelite and those that were 
there, God expected a lot of them. He, they were his people. They were supposed to act differently and be different to the Philistines. Maybe you think that too as we look about us. Round here you think the people out there, they can do what they like, live whatever way they like and do all those things and God doesn't seem to pass any remarks on them. But as soon as we do something that's a bit iffy, as soon as we start going off the path a bit, we can feel that disciplining hand of God and that's what's to be expected. We see it here and we can see it in our own lives as well that God will work with his people. He will, he, he, he'll, he'll discipline them, he'll, he'll adjust it and he expects so much more of here than out there. Out there, it's, it's godless. It's supposed to be godless. It's supposed to be that way. But in here, God's expecting different behavior uh, to, um, to outside. God has set rules. If, you were starting, if you're going to start where in our Bible study in Grohl, place where I go to, we are studying through Corinthians. And God set out. He starts in the beginning of Corinthians. He says, we can't have sectarianism. We can't have mixture with the idol's temple. We need to have headship. We're going to have to have order at the Lord's Supper. He just goes through Corinthians. He just sets all the things out there, clear and plain, why it's going to be wrong, what's going to happen out there. They can do whatever they want, but in my house, it's going to be done on this way, or you're not going to have my blessing. You're not going to have my help in those things. You're not going to have the presence and help of God. And remember, we thought about the, the rules that God had put in his, in his box in the, in the Ark of Covenant. The rules were there, and God has set out a good number of rules for us to follow New Testament. He's very clear on this well. We're going to read another verse, another couple of verses, but we'll read Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24, just to bring this into the New Testament a bit more, in case you think we're just talking about old things. And this is what God says. We're talking to one of our brethren here earlier about Ray Comfort, and he uses this as well. Uh, Ray, Ray loves this. He says, Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. You're all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So here we have this idea. The Apostle Paul is explaining the law. One of the, root, the, the things of it is this, to bring us unto understanding of our sin, to bring us to Christ. That's what the law is for, is to help us to understand these things. So this is what he does. He brings us the, the law to it. And this is Ray Comfort in his evangelism. He's, great. He's a great man for this. He sets out the Ten Commandments. He sets them out and he asks himself and he asks those he speaks to, have you kept all them commandments? Have you done all the things that God has required of us not to steal, not to lie, not to want we shouldn't have, to put God first, and all those different things that, uh, that God has set out. And if we read our New Testament, if you read through this New Testament, you will find all those, those ten rules that were in the box in the, in the Ark of the Covenant. There are the ten rules that were in that. You'll find nine of them, accepting the Sabbath, to keep it holy. You'll find all the other nine rules, all clearly taught in the New Testament, in the letters and the epistles. You'll find them all taught there. So what I'm saying here is the God of the Old Testament hasn't changed to the God of the New Testament. Same God we're serving. Same standards, same things that interest him, same things that pleases him, same things that he likes to think about. So we think about that. The, the rules, the commandments, 
to bring us to Christ, to understand that we need a Savior, great for the gospel. But also, I want you to think of this, a baby Christian. Think of a baby person, right? A baby person. And you can know out the front of your house, you have this lovely big bit of black tarmac. And the child thinks that would be the best place ever to play football and play sports. And you say, look, this is the rules. This is the rules. That big black bit of tarmac, no football, no sports there. That's it. No discussion of the matter. You're not allowed to play on that bit of road. The child goes, well, that's very unfair. That's really, you really, that's, I hate your rules. Don't like them rules. Don't like that rule. I want to play on that bit of tarmac. But the parent knows that's the road. If the child plays there, it's okay for five minutes, then cars come, it's too dangerous. You're not allowed to play there. That's the rules. Now, you don't expect that when the child's 20, that you're saying, now, don't play football on the road. The child at 20 will know you don't play football on the road. You go down to the sports field or out somewhere else and you play football and play whatever you want in the proper place because the reason is that they didn't understand the danger. And I want to apply that just to the rules of the New Testament. Young Christians, those that are not sure, look at the old Christians. Why do they not, why do they not steal and fight and, and um, take what doesn't belong to them and tell lies and all those things? Why do they not do those things? We can put them down simply as rules, the rules, but what we'll find is as we grow in the faith, we will find those things that would please Christ, those things that the Spirit would have us do, they will be the things that will come to the forefront of our lives. Maybe the young Christian doesn't understand why, 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 why are we not allowed to do all these things? Why do we do all the things we do do? Why do we not do all the things we don't do? And we, you'll find if you look at older godly Christians, you will find that the point is becoming more like Christ. And once we become, let the Spirit have control of our lives, once we become like Christ, we shouldn't have lying, we shouldn't have covenant, we shouldn't, we should be putting God first, all those things that God said, that should be a natural thing in our life, becoming more like Christ. Maybe the start, a few rules could be a good thing, just for our own safety, for our own, um, our own enjoyment, for our own development, for our own uh, not knowing the dangers that lie in some of these things. There's physical dangers, on the road, there's spiritual dangers in these things if we dabble with sin. We, we like the idea of a lucky charm. We like the idea of God that'll come and help us when we want it. If you ever do find a genie in a bottle and you, he's given you a wish, I can tell you what wish God would want for you. If you find the one wish, and you don't have to wait for the genie in the bottle, actually, if you go to Luke chapter 11 and read verse 11 to 13, this is something available to each one of us. So we think that the, the Old Testament Israelites, they just wanted victory over the Philistines. Get rid of them old Philistines. They're nothing but a plagued us. They're just, they're just what we don't want. We don't want the Philistines. We want to live by ourselves and we want to live whatever way we want. We want the Philistines' gods and the Philistines' fun. But we don't want to live under the Philistines. That's what they really wanted. They wanted to do the sin of the Philistines but not... But, but have the, the peace and security that God would give them. But here, whenever we are thinking about our things, things we think, if we found the genie in the bottle, what do we wish for? Here's what God says what we should wish for. for uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 11 to 13. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? 
If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? Here's God. And he's saying, look, I'm your Father. You belong to me. I want your best. Your best at heart, right? And if you want to ask for eggs, if you want to ask for stuff, ask, ask for stuff. You can ask whatever you want. Ask whatever you want from, from God. Ask whatever you want. Ask whatever you like, right? But if you want to, the real thing, if you want the best thing you can have, you ask for Holy Spirit. Ask for as much of that as you can have. As much control for the Holy Spirit of as much control of you as you can possibly have. And you will then have everything. You can ask for wealth and life and fame and happiness and all those things. You can ask for as much as you want, but you're only asking for paltry and passing things. But if you ask God, who's your father, he's willing to give you the Holy Spirit if you only ask him for that. You don't have to wait for the genie in the bottle to get the best thing you'd ever have. You can ask God for his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit will bring out in you likeness to Christ. It'll bring out in you that thing where you'll become more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The problem with law is this. The problem with law is this. Law is a rule and a penalty. And we are thankful today, as we think about these things, that we have the Lord Jesus Christ. He bore the penalty for our sins. He has put the law. If, if we are living under the law, the problem is every sin, every sin we do, it requires payment. It requires a penalty. But we are freed from the law. We are freed from this because the Lord Jesus Christ has died in our place, paid the price for all our sins. And he now is asking us to become more like him, to become more Christ-like, to give the Spirit the free reign in our lives and to be those that serve a God in an acceptable and pleasing way. And we need to study our Bible. We need to look at all those things just to see what does God want us to do? What does he want us to, to follow him with? And that's what we want to think about this morning. So think of those stories. Think about that ark that came to God, the most important thing, the thing that we'd love to, to see. If it was ever, I don't think it exists. Now it has been lost somewhere. It's been destroyed or lost. I don't think it exists anymore. Something that I'd love to see in real life, the Ark of the Covenant, would be something really special. But this was lost to Israelites. They didn't get it back. But boy, there was some pain and there was some anguish and there were some difficulties in bringing this back. For they didn't know how to do it because they didn't know the rules, didn't know what God was expecting of them. I trust these few simple thoughts will be helped to us as we consider our Christian life and all our blessings. Just remember, if we're asking, what does God want us to ask for? The, the, the thing that is, the, the moral or the, the crux of the matter is this. God wants to give us his very best. What's the best God can give us? He gives us his Holy Spirit to those that ask. Not wealth and fame. We can have the very Spirit of God in control of our lives. The best thing, the greatest thing that God would have for each one of us. Thank you for your kind attention.